Sorry for the difficulties if you were watching the first one. Um, I'm Aaron, of course. You guys know that. It's good to have you. Thank you for joining me wherever you're joining me from, whenever you're joining me. And uh, hopefully today get to be able to interview Derek Brown. Um, we had some difficulties. He's having trouble finding uh, the Facebook Live on my feed, so I don't know what, what that's about. So I'm starting over, and hopefully uh, Derek will be able to find um, the, the Facebook Live coming up on my uh, Facebook page so that he can jump on. He wasn't able to see it. So that was the problem before, but hopefully uh, we'll have him on. He's great, uh, tremendous man of God, full of wisdom. Met him in 2016. Uh, those of you that know, 2016 was an eventful year for me. I, I got burned out, um, <clears throat> had a spiritual awakening. And uh, that spiritual awakening came out of an experience that I had, um, trance-like vision, sort of out-of-body experience that I had August 13th, 2016. And I ended up, you know, auspiciously, serendipitously meeting Derek about two weeks later at a conference in Orlando. And uh, one of the things that drew me to him was I had been studying intensely the Gospel of John. You, those of you that were with us back then, you'll remember that I was doing all kinds of teaching on the Gospel of John, and he mentioned that in his teaching at the conference there. And so that was one of the things that drew me to him. I uh, found out that he had known Alan Vincent, who had been a uh, mentor of mine back in the 90s and the early 2000s. And so we were just able to really connect. And the last four years, he's just been a tremendous blessing, uh, a guide to me, a mentor in many ways, uh, someone that I bounce everything off of. And uh, he's been around a lot. He's seen a lot in the church. Aha, there he is. Yes. Aha, yay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so, Derek, I was, yes. I was introducing you a little bit. I was telling the people that we met back in uh, 2016 and that it was an yes. auspicious meeting for me, for sure. Um, I was uh, in a real shift, in a real difficult time, burnt out completely, Um and I, I want to just take a moment to publicly thank you, because I think without your input in my life and steadiness and stability through all that, I don't I don't know where I'd be. I don't think I'd be doing this for sure. <laughs> Not either. <laughs> We've made quite a journey. Yeah, it has been quite a journey. Um, so why don't you start, just tell us, uh, the viewers, people that maybe don't know you, just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your history, if you don't mind. Uh, well, I heard you say one Sunday morning he's been around a long time. <laughs> and then you apologize. Yeah, I think good. so. <laughs> I remember so, that. The reality is I have been around a long time. And uh, I guess I go back, uh, was it 50, Oh, uh, something like 50 plus years that I uh, started as a, I was, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit about uh, 52 years ago. And that was the most revolutionary experience of my life because when I was baptized in the Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. I uh, basically had this memory come to me, which was that when speaking to my head teacher at school when I was 11, they asked me wanted to, what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I said, I want to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. And I never, ever thought about it again, and I got into my career, and I got into the legal stuff and all that, and then when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, those words came to me. 
Mm. And uh, it was kind of like a, 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 a big shift immediately, really. It was, quite rev- it was revolutionary. I started pastoring the church, but I still worked. And I, I think, if I remember correctly, which I find quite fascinating, but I, I knew that I would never go into the ministry full-time, for want of a better word, until I was 30 years of age. So I had, tw- I had six years of being a lay pastor, working full-time, being a lay pastor, and actually pastoring two churches. Um, When I was 30, uh, I had an invitation to five different churches, and uh, I it was actually David Pawson. If you did, you know David Pawson. I've heard of David Pawson. Yeah, he died recently, and and David, I went over to a church because I had these five invitations, and uh, I thought I don't know what I'm doing. I just all over the place, and he said um, he was spoke from Acts chapter 13. He used to just do do an exposition of Acts. He went through Acts 13. You know, now there were in the church Antioch apostles and prophets, and uh, the Holy Spirit said, separate me. And, and I thought, I've got, I've got to find an Antioch. And one of the churches that I was involved in those days was Farnborough Baptist Church, and I just went along. I gave up all the pastorate, gave up all the work I was doing, and all the ministry and tapes all over the world in those days, and I just said, I just want to join. Mm. Well, I'm still here. Wow. <laughs> Basically. Wow. But then we've got an enormous transition. So, you know, from, you know, and, you know, that's history, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit of it. And then it was I, I think I said to you, um, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I was teaching word of faith when I was, you know, Hagen when I was 26, did all that, you know, all, all of that history. Uh, did, I, did I ask you, did you know Bryn Jones? No. You knew Alan Vincent, okay. Yeah. Well, you knew Alan Vincent. I went to India with Alan Vincent when I was 30. Yeah. Uh, and with him for seven weeks, uh, and I knew him well. So I went through all the restoration, which is different over here, restoration, um, and uh, have carried on the journey and still enjoy myself, but it's very different. Uh, yeah. The church to, I don't know, four, five hundred, six hundred uh celebrities everywhere i guess that came uh i we i know you know bob mumford bob mumford came oh, yeah. who was a quite a crucial point and uh so i did that and then uh a few years ago uh we decided that was it it was god was telling us to move on so that's basically my history really all right I great could, i could quote i said to somebody the other day i'm not going to write a book if I wrote an autobiography, David Pawson once said, because I used to meet with him quite often, he said, the trouble is, it's when you begin to believe your own publicity. <laughs> and so my publicity, you know, you only remember the good stuff, don't you, like the children of Israel, and remembered the cucumbers and pomegranates and the fact they were losing their kids didn't really appeal to them. You know, it just, just doesn't, I couldn't write a book, so <laughs> I could tell a story, but it, but it might be my story. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of books, uh, Derek is uh, – You've turned me on to so many different, uh, good treasures, but I think the, the, the coolest one for me, I mean, it, it was so, like I said, auspicious when we met because I had read Matthew Fox, uh, the original blessing uh-huh. when I first got into ministry when I was 30 and uh-huh. I was so steeped in the sinful redemption model that I would sit there and read that book and I would get angry and I would think this is, this is heresy. This is horrible. I think I finally just threw it out. You know, I don't think I went so far as to burn it, but, <laughs> but pretty close. Yeah, yeah. And then I went through, you know, about 20 years or nah, not quite 15 years 
of uh, ministry. And then when I met you in 2016, one of the things that you talked about was Matthew Fox's book. And uh, I was like, well, I thought that was heretical. And, and you kind of sent me straight on that. And so yeah. I went home and I immediately got that book out. And I was reading that book. And it was such an emotional experience for me because I was I was being liberated. But I was angry because I was everything he was saying about the the negativity of overemphasis on sinful redemption. I had lived and experienced in ministry for 15 years. And I'm thinking if I could have only heard this, you know, 15 years ago, it would have saved me this. I, I'd cry. I'd get angry. I'd throw the book. <laughs> but it was such a, a wonderful, powerful healing time for me. So Hebrews, you, you know this scripture well, but I'll, I'll share it for everybody out there. In uh, Hebrews, I'll just start in chapter 12, verse 25. It says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, uh, ooh, I lost my place. If they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice shook the earth, but now once more uh, he's promised saying, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now, this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The the interesting thing to me in this, it talks about shaking and the removing of those things that are created. But in the the Greek, it's metathemai. And it's my understanding it's not like a, a complete removal, but it is a complete rearrangement. And so the writer of Hebrews, I think, you know, the textual evidence is clear. He's writing before the destruction of the temple. So he's writing during this time of transition between the ages, um, between the the old covenant and the new covenant, but also between the age of Aries and the age of Pisces. And I really believe, and I think you do too, Derek, uh, that we are in this kind of a shifting, shaking where, rearranging where God is doing something new. And I would just like to hear from your perspective what you're seeing as far as that shifting and that changing. What what do you see happening now and maybe even more importantly in the future? Okay. Um, I think uh, I think actually we might have talked about it a little bit at the time, but for me I think I've been I'd 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 read um Phyllis Tickle's book, The Great Emergence. You ever read that book? I haven't. Which way? Okay, well, there you go. Uh, I, I, I can, you know, I can pull rank here, but uh, I was invited. I was invited to a conference uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, with world thinkers on emergent church. Mm. Now, I mean, that you know, that drop that in your CV when it works well. And uh, basically, uh, Phyllis Tickle wrote this book called The Great Emergence, which is every five year, every five hundred years. The church goes through a rummage sale. I think you call it a rummage sale. You know, clear out everything. Yeah. And she describes in that book the shaking and, you know, things that are going on doctrinally. So she takes it from the Reformation and she brings it forward. And for me, even what we're going through right now, so people say, well, what do you think is happening? You know, what's going on politically or in a climate or whatever? And my view is that, you know, in... Uh, first of all, I think creation is groaning. I don't think it's just climate change. I think creation is groaning. So Romans 8, I think we, we're very keen, a bit like the latter rain in the 40s, you know, the late 40s. Well, we want the sons of God to emerge. Well, I don't see the sons of God emerging. Not even if you read the history of the latter rain, there's nothing, nothing right. like that happening 
<laughs> that's for sure. Right. Uh, whatever right. you make it, I'm not making a point on it. But to me, we are we are living in a moment where creation is groaning, and that is a birthing process. And to me, that's what we're going through. And so in terms of Hebrews 12, you know, God is shaking everything that can be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. And I think doctrinally, I think politically, in all sorts of different ways, we're going through a, an enormous period of shaking. And when it's finished, like you say, it's not the removal of everything. It's the place where you go, what have I got left? <laughs> if that right. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm doing that in my own life, you know. I mean, we've done what we've done, I don't know how many weeks it is now, it just seems like forever, you know. And I, as I class, I'm old and vulnerable, ha-ha, but, you know, I've been in lockdown for about nine weeks, I think. And it's kind of like, well, what have I got left? And it's quite interesting. And we were, you know, so I, I find that quite fascinating, really. But then, of course, at the same time as the removal of everything, we are told in Hebrews, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Right. And I probably show my age again here, but in those days it was um, the unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person by E. Stanley, e. Stanley Jones. Jones. Remember yeah. that? One? Oh yeah. And look, and that was that was like you had to read that. That was like if you were in any apostolic team, you had to read the unchanging person, the unshakable kingdom. And I think that's where we are now. And uh, you know, I have a few old, old books like Kingdoms in Conflict with Charles. They are books that are telling you it's not a political kingdom. It's a kingdom that is being can be shaken because it's God's kingdom. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the, using the birthing process, I think what what is happening. My my daughter-in-law is a midwife, and she says, you know, transition is the moment when the the head of the baby engages in the cervix of the womb. There's mm-hmm. no going back because this is coming, but it's the most uncomfortable time. And to me, we're in a very uncomfortable time, but we are in a time of transition and probably in a time of transition for about, well, one book here, I would tell you, though, since the 1970s. But we're in a time of transition. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think um, what what's interesting to me about it is I don't. I don't think we know what it's going to look like when this is all over. And what's interesting to me is. Um, how easy it is for us, how tempting it is for us to want to go back. Uh, you know, we, we, we say, you know, God's doing something new, but we want it to look like what he did, <laughs> like you mentioned in the, in the forties or the fifties, or, yeah. um, we want to hold on to what's being shaken because we've invested a lot of our lives at times in what's actually being shaken. And so you, you have these voices or we ourselves in our hearts want to try to hold on to uh, and hold together because I think we feel like, you know, if we let go of that, then who are we? What do we have? And I think the lockdown has been, it's been good for me, um, to just kind of reevaluate and think through some things. And one of the other things that we've talked about, Derek, is, uh, you know, both of us have experience operating in signs and wonders and doing miracle services and, you know, all that sort of charismatic stuff. And I know for me, you know, 2008 was kind of a, um, a high point for us as far as that stuff goes. But about 2011, 2012, oddly enough, all that stuff just, it just wasn't there, um, like it had been. So that transition, at least for me, started back then. But you, you talk about the science of spirituality 
And one of the other things that we talked about at the conference when we met was Greg Braden. And so around the same time I was reading Matthew Fox and getting mad at his book in 2000, I was reading Greg Braden's stuff. Uh, yeah, Greg's yeah, hard yeah. to get mad at, though. I mean, you know, so he just, to me, what stuff he does just feels so pure. Um, but I had the opportunity to go in here and see Greg after uh, after we had talked, and I was so impressed with his spirit and the way he conducted himself, the way he showed honor. Um, and so that was a, that was another part. So maybe can we talk about that a little bit? Like, like what do you see, like, as far as the shift in spirituality and, and that kind of stuff? Okay, well, um, it started for me probably about the time, I might have even said this when we met, but I was reading the familiar passage of Elijah praying for rain, 1 Kings chapter 18. And, you know, it, ha- it hasn't rained for three years, and uh, you know, and he goes up into Mount Carmel, which is a watered garden. That's what it means, the Hebrew. He goes up into Mount Carmel, and he goes onto the top of a mountain, and as you know, he prays. Mm-hmm. And he prays seven times, and uh, he sends his servant each time. What do you see? Nothing, 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 nothing. And I was reading that, and I thought, I've got to be honest, you know, I think you're a bit like me. I go, yeah, that's typical God, really. You pray like the clappers, you know, you pray like anything, and all you get is in the air a tiny little cloud, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, we've all done it. You know, we've fasted, prayed, stood on our heads, you know, done handstands, yoga, all sorts of things. And what, what, what is this all about? And I felt God say to me, and I, I would say it's changed my life. It did change my life. Who made the cloud? And I go, well, you did. Because, you know, I prayed and, you, and God said, no, it was the size of a man's hand. You made the cloud. You make clouds, I send rain, and I do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And I've got to be honest, that took me into the world of quantum physics, because that is standard quantum physics. As you know, you go into that's energy, you create the energy, and as a result of that, the energy comes into matter. And it Mm -hmm. changed my life. And it took me down the road of the Isaiah effect and the Greg Braden, and I've been to one of his conferences as well, and how that the science of quantum physics... I mean, Newton had enough to do with, you know, with with our Christianity before. But in the end, the whole element of quantum <coughs> physics, our spirituality, as they are now saying, is the new mysticism. And the spirit is the new science. And you can't ignore the field and the quantum field and all that's happening. So that we are manipulating, if that's the right word, or we are involved in making things happen in terms of energy. Yeah. But it was that passage that changed my life. Yeah, interesting. So one of the things, too, is the the language, at least for me, you know, the language is changing tremendously. Um, I would have never talked about energy in this way, you know, five years ago, six Absolutely. years ago. Um, for me, meditation has really become the foundation of my spiritual practice. Um, and it's been so rewarding. I don't know. And, and I was a meditator before I got into the, you know, contemplative prayer movement and and all that stuff, but even more so, you know, the last year to meditation, imagination, understanding that Christ is, is in me, not apart from me or other than me, uh, has had a profound, profound impact on my life and, uh, really has become the foundation of, of what I'm doing. But so often when, 
believers start talking about meditation or they start talking about spirituality in terms of energy uh, going within. I remember reading uh, The Purpose Driven Life, and one of the first things in The Purpose Driven Life, uh, God bless Rick Warren, but he said, you know, don't go within. If you go within, you're, 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 you're liable to be deceived and, and all that stuff. So that's one of the shifts that I really see taking place is the language is changing. Absolutely. Well, I think in the end, one of the things that really struck me in terms of Paul, 1 Corinthians, when, when he's talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, look, I might have failed the test. Now, we're talking about Paul's apostolic ministry. So we'd say, well, has he done the right doctrine? Has he got the right thing? And he goes, I might have failed. If you don't realize, Corinthians, that Christ is in you, I have failed the test. Mm. And I think that in the end, in terms of people and, you know, whatever years of ministry that's irrelevant, I think that in the end, unless people finish up with Christ is in you and all that that means in terms of meditation, contemplation and how we even pray, I think we have failed the test. Paul Mm -hmm. said it. Unless you get that, you have Mm -hmm. failed the test. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's it's about being in the faith. Let's let's talk let's talk about original sin just a little bit because um, you were talking about the 500 years every 500 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, that probably and this is what Matthew Fox talks a lot about in the book Original Sin. And you recommended the the book by um, Finley, I think, that's Born Bad. And then yeah. I read a few others. That I think those those works and Richard Rohr's work on the Universal Christ, as far as books, were probably the most uh reforming yeah. for me in terms of my my thought and my thinking how, how do you see it like like what is the change for the church when we shift that belief away from original sin and more towards original blessing what what does that shift cause for you or in your mind okay i think in my own mind first of all the, the thing that i first came to terms with is that when I read that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, well, that changes everything. That's like you saying to, to, let's say, we go on a road trip and you say to me, I'll tell you what, Derek, you go, you go ahead, go to San Francisco and take my Ferrari and I've paid the garage bill or the repair bill. Mm-hmm. Basically, God knew, if God didn't know we were going to fall and all the, that, the whole fall thing has been made a big deal, but actually God knew because the, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world and we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That, first of all, has made, you know, that I'm not the big sinner. God knew I was going to screw up. You know, that's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, first of all, has changed my, that, that took me down the route of original blessing. That God knew, he knew that we're done. And then, of course, one of the interesting things, even in terms of the fall, which I know you've looked at, I wrote to somebody the other day and said, so, where where did the devil tell a lie? He told the truth. Exactly. If you eat <laughs> if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is our problem, because we're now stuck between good and evil unless we eat the tree of life, you're going to be like gods. Well, that's been our problem. We we are still stuck with that because. But he told the truth. He didn't lie. And then you, and then well, anyway, we could go into all of that. No, I, I think that's I think that's worth going into because when when whenever I talk and I and I use really bold language. I mean, you listen to me a lot and, and follow, you know, a lot of what I'm doing. 
Um, but I, I really try to get people to understand that, that the divine spark, the, the Christ, God's essence is the essence of who they are. And oftentimes people will come back with, well, that's the lie that the serpent told in the garden. <laughs> and yet it always, uh, even when I was a young believer, just a few verses after that, the Elohim, you know, looks, they said, man's become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So God confirms <laughs> what the devil told him was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was brought up with, you know, if I read my, my, you know, a, a, a book on a Sunday, you know, I was going to break my leg if I played soccer, you know. I mean, that's what I was brought up with, and it just mm. didn't make sense. But I think in the end, I mean, I, there are a few people, because I saw them there, uh, I said to somebody a little while ago, who told you? Who told you? God even asked the question, who told you you were naked and ashamed? You told yourself that. It wasn't God who said it. Right. He didn't say, he said, he said, where are you? I'm looking for fellowship with you. I want to, I want to restore you. And who told you you were naked and ashamed? And he's not there to expose them and condemn them. He's there to, uh, he's there to, you know, get them to come to the light. Right. I used to work with a friend of mine, Bob Gordon. It was he was a, a, a very very good friend of mine, and we used to do things like we used to do leaders things, and it was like high noon at the OK Corral, you know. I mean, it was like we used to sort of I used to fire one, and then he used to fire back. You know, <laughs> did Jonathan Ed, Did Jonathan Edwards ever preach the gospel? The biggest revival sermon. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. You know, frying over hell, and then, you know, people are sort of having strokes, and oh, it's just, come on, no, this is not a loving God. Then we try and tell people he's a loving God, and then we end up with another God who comes with a war horse with his gunnels up to blood because he's going to come and judge us. The, the, the gospel is not congruent. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting about uh, Jonathan Edwards. He could go off, go off on there. As a, as, a, as, a, as a clinical therapist, when they describe what's happening in the revivals, you look at that and you think, that's what happens to people that get post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> this, is, this is trauma. This is not Holy Spirit. This is emotional trauma. And why wouldn't you be? You know, because it would paint this graphic picture of eternal torment and eternal fire and and uh the brain you know if if you're if you're running those images through your mind the brain can't your body can't tell the difference it'll go into that fight or flight response and <laughs> and and we're calling that the holy spirit you know <laughs> I, I think some of us are still we were brought up with all that stuff and mm-hmm. uh and uh you know legalism and i think some of us are still clearing some of that out of our own thinking i know that i know that for some of my friends yeah yeah, I think one of the things that's been helpful for me with that is being able to remember uh, to to keep the Bible in its its context, not just the context passage-wise, but also the context of the culture and the age in which it uh, in which it was written, and how the people in the ancient world understood gods. And really, you know, especially in the Old Testament, Yahweh reveals Himself as the tribal God. Of Israel, and back then, it, you know, my God's bigger than your God. The whole David and Goliath thing is uh, predicated upon my God's better than your God. So, so if you defeat me, then your God defeated my God. So we'll be your servants. Um, but I'm, I'm bringing all that up because uh, the other night, my son, my eight-year-old, asked me to to read the Bible to him, and rather than one of the children's Bibles, uh, I grabbed. 
my new international version Bible and I started reading by <laughs> I started reading Bible stories to him and I thought I don't want these ideas uh, getting into his head. I mean, just like Noah's, Noah's Ark. I remember I went to his school, which is a Christian school, and they wanted me to talk about Noah and the Ark. And, you know, for kids, you know, you have the imagery, that nice little Ark and the nice family and the animals. But in essence, it's a story of judgment and wrath. And, um, so I, I after trying three or four different stories, I, I just shook my head and I closed the Bible and I went and got the book, um, Jonathan, uh, Livingston Siegel. <laughs> And I read that to him instead, and I thought, man, that's better food for the soul. <laughs> so he slept better that night. What's that? <laughs> he slept better that night. Yeah, for sure. I did. I slept better. I don't know if he did. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it was interesting because as an adult, and, and just the way that transpired for me, seeing that through the eyes of the child, and then he would ask these questions. And um, even even some of the things in the New Testament, you know, we were, I, I was reading the story where Jesus um, later says in, in Matthew 17, where he says, uh, if if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And in his literal mind, man, he's going to go start. He loves animals. You know, he loves nature. Next time he finds a dead bird, he's going to try to work up the faith to raise the dead bird from from the dead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and there was a day I would have encouraged that, but but now I'm like, gosh, that's just setting him up for disappointment and doubt and frustration and all that other stuff. So anyway, got a little sidetracked there, but I, I think that image of God definitely uh, is is part of what's being shaken. I think that uh, that sort of angry God's going to get you. Jesus is coming back any day to wipe people out. Uh, I think people are letting go of that image, um, thousands, millions of people around the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the, I think it's Acts 7, isn't it, Stephen? And he said the God, of, when he's telling the story, the history of the Jews, and he said the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in Mesopotamia. And actually, I think it's Paul Johnson in his history of the Jews said it was the it was the idol. That, I mean, if you read the story of what was happening in Mesopotamia at that time, it was it was complete idolatry and child sacrifice and everything. And I think Paul Johnson says actually it was probably the idol stuck on the on the on the kitchen shelf that just said, "Hey, get out of there." <laughs> probably was. <laughs> it probably was. Probably was. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think if if you if if we understand the the barbaric nature really of humanity at those times, you can see this progression throughout Scripture. Just like you mentioned, it, it was commonplace in Abraham's day, at least as I understand it, to sacrifice your firstborn child uh, to your family god or idol or whatever. Yeah. So it wasn't that unusual for you know God to tell Abraham to do that, but then He stops him. Uh, Interesting, interesting thing in that passage. So Isaac doesn't come back with him if you read it very carefully. <laughs> I, I've heard you on that one. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So that's uh, it's. Uh, I think in the end, I, I, I think that you know, we, I, I know. I mean, I, 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 when I listen to you, sometimes I think I think of a Bob Mumford joke actually, which was you know he used to stand up quite regularly and he used to say. I used I used to be I used to have wings, but the backbiters chewed them off. <laughs> I generally think of you like that one. You used to have wings, but the backbiters chewed them off. But <laughs> but 
the bottom line is that when you look at certain things, it just, you know, you, if you just try and get a literal interpretation of mm. the Bible, you can't do it. We know that in terms of it, the resurrection appearances or whatever. And in the end, truth, and I was saying to, I know he's online, Nicholas there. I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, if, if two of us, because I used to work in the legal profession, you know, right. I, I, when I say that, I always like Alan Watts's, um, Alan Watts in that book, Behold the Spirit, where he says, lawyers with books are dangerous people. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about the reformers. But what Nicholas and I were talking, Mm. I said, if you I see something happening down there, the reality is your perception of it and my perception of it, it's going to be different. Right. And if you don't accept that and say, well, you're wrong, you're, you're, you're in trouble because the reality is everybody sees it differently. So for me, uh, that you, that helps me a lot in terms of just my understanding. It doesn't it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that's your perception and that's my perception. Yeah. And I think that helped me in terms of understanding scripture and my own view of it. And I I, I think the other day I I had a uh, I, and I've really enjoyed say like the esoteric mystical look at the look at um uh, at, at scripture and I was looking at the like the story of Jacob and Esau. Well, you know we know Romans. Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. That isn't the end of the story. They're reconciled. Right. Think, what's that all about? You know, who's telling the truth? Because I used to, you know, I used to dread the fact that if I probably had another glass of wine, I'd probably just lost my inheritance, you know. (laughs) You know. Yeah, and when they they reconcile, Jacob says, seeing you, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's that's a it's a good credible quote. I remember it was it um, you know the fearful void by a guy wrote a book called the fearful void. He decided that he was going to walk the Sahara Desert to see how much fear he'd got, and he gets to the point where uh, his nose is split, he's covered in lice, and the guide runs off. And then about three or four hours later, he comes back running with with water, and he says, "I see your face as the face of God." But, yeah, I was brought up with that, you know, that if I did that, well, God, you know, Esau was a profane and a horrible person. Well, he wasn't. And and another one, which I found very interesting as you get to my age, um, where it says, well, the elder will serve the younger. That mm. doesn't happen. Actually, Jacob still serves, still bows to Esau. Mm-hmm. So it's a perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. So I, I know I said earlier, you know, I think we're, we're all, those of us that are looking to the future and the shifting and changing that's happening in the church, and I'm not really sure that we have the full picture or maybe even part of what things are going to look like. But from your perspective, since we're talking about perspectives, what do you see down the road being different about the church? What, what, where do you think the church like if you looking at it, what has been versus maybe what will be 10, 15 years down the road, something like that. What, what's what's your perception? What's uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the first thing is one of the things we were talking about it this morning. Um, some of them that are listening. I think the shift from the charismatic to the spiritual is a big, is an enormous one. I think mm. John Drake, if you've ever come across John Drake. You probably don't come across John Rand. You need to because he read the he read preaching the gospel in to, to the in the tarot. Oh the yeah, you told me about that book. I just haven't picked it up yeah. yet. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. John Dray, 
<laughs> John Drain wrote a book, How Spiritual is the Charismatic Movement? And I don't think it's that spiritual. Mm. And what we, determine, what we term charismatic and is, is, is basically a, a liturgy. You know, I think Joel Edwards one of the lead, one, was at the time the leader of our evangelical alliances. If God is so creative, how come every church that does a celebration does it the same way? That we would say, you know, in my day, we criticise liturgy. But I know I could walk into a church. I said it to a pastor the other month. I said, so we're going to do what we've done the last 15 years? Yeah. You know, we're going to have the notices. We're going to have the welcome. We're going to have the, 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 the period of six or seven songs. We're going to have the notices. And then, you know, somebody's going to preach and then whatever. And to me, that's we've lost the spirit because the very element of the spirit, first of all, is the spirit blows where it wills. Mm. And you hear the sound of it and you don't know where that comes from and you don't know where that goes to. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think in fairness to me and you could check out with some people, but I had some really unusual experiences where the spirit told me to do things which were dynamic. But mm-hmm. it was the spirit. It wasn't a liturgy. Mm-hmm. I think that's so I think the shift from the charismatic to the spiritual is enormous. Mm-hmm. Because think that uh, you know, and I think that's what you know. You and I, we were talking about it this morning. You know, all the power of God. I, I couldn't. I can't do it now. I don't even want to do it. Right. Anymore. Right. All right. But I do want those nuances of the spirit. That in the end, you know, you don't have to. Don't have to have a roll of the drums, and now we're going to have the ministry time. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But rather right. just the Holy Spirit. The uh, Holy Spirit is obvious. So the charismatic to the spiritual. I think the, the whole matter of leadership, and I think that was the, 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 the great emergence was about that. And I've got a book here called Into the New Age by Stephen Verney, and the breaking down of hierarchical structures. Yep. He wrote that in 1975. Now, for wow. me, you know, yeah, 1975, the, here it is, it says, yeah, 75, um, a renaissance, a new birth, a reformation, a break with hierarchical superiors, the discovery of the independence of the individual. Now, my values, you know, uh, were that apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists and teachers were not the top of the tree that organized with the managing directors or whatever the, the corporate, but rather they were there to equip the saints who in the end were going to be members of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And to me, we have to make a major shift from organization to the organic, and we really are members of the body. I think that's massive. I think that those, those two will finish your living for you, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I love that switching from the organization to the organic, and I think that's where, if I, if I can speak to folks that are connected with our Sunday morning fellowship, I think that's where we've been. Uh, and I think that's part of the struggle that we've been feeling are some of the birth pains is, you know, how do we move away from the organizational and move into the organic? And it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be from the from the inside out. And there has to be space and room for individuality. I, I think one of the biggest problems, two things I want to hit on that you said, one of the biggest problems that I see is we come together and fellowship in most Christian churches, probably since the time of the creeds around yeah a consensus of belief or around a group consensus or a group thought form rather than necessarily uh, by the heart. And I have, I have had more um, people and ministers that are, you know, my age 
that are are breaking down because they can't deal with the the falseness or the kind of being pushed into this mode and mold. All that stuff is definitely being shaken. And the one thing I'm hearing consistently across the board is uh, I wasn't able to be authentic or I want to be authentic. And by being authentic, that means that's where I think meditation comes in because you're discovering deep within yourself, what are the deep desires of your heart? What are the deep expressions that you have? And that's where that creativity and I think that organic stuff begins. But the other thing, the breaking down of hierarchical leadership, that's not just in the church. In fact, the church may be the last domino to fall. Uh, you know, I work on a university and nobody calls their professors, uh, professor, you know, professor so and so or even doctor uses those titles anymore. They're, they're on first name basis. And, um, you know, I have several friends in the medical profession that are doctors that, uh, understand that their role has changed because used to be you'd go to the doctor and whatever the doctor told you to do, he's the expert and you go do it. Now, you know, they'll search the internet for five or six different opinions. They'll come in and tell you what's wrong with them and what, what, what to prescribe and they'll argue with you. And, uh, and so all of this, you, you see the hierarchies breaking down at every level of society. It, it's really fascinating. It's, it's, it's interesting to watch. Um, the lady that, um, is the chair, I think, of the business, Harvard Business School wrote a book a few years ago called The End of Leadership. And you know, probably similar to the book that you were referencing. I don't know if you've read that one. But it talks about this breakdown at every level of society. And so the same thing's happening in the spiritual path. People just aren't going to sit there and, and, you know, take the pastor's word for it or or want to sign a doctrinal statement or a church covenant and, and you know, try to come into this sort of conformity. And so there there is a stripping away of that on I think on every level. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Well, I think I pointed out a book which actually I think it was I suppose it's about twelve years ago that I sort of began to sense this shift. And I'm not very good at history. I, I don't. I'm not very good at my own past. I, being honest, I, I actually went back to the building where I, you know, we we had church for thirty five years. It was a thousand seater cinema. And I went there for a meal the other week and, well, the other month and, uh, I'm sitting there and, the, you know, and I'm, all these memories, you know, and all these, you know, Bob Mumford and back, all of the celebrities that came and all the memories were there and I was looking and that happened there and that happened there and that happened there. And all of a sudden the guy at the table said, have you been here before? I said, yeah, about 36 years, you know, <laughs> and really it meant nothing to me. And I, and I, I thank God for it, but it means nothing to me. And, uh, you know, I think that the whole element, but I read a book called Walk Out, Walk On by Margaret Wheatley. And uh, the book is basically how institutions in, in terms of leadership. So it's 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 the story, number of different stories of people who walked out of Harvard Business School, you know, Goldman Sachs and started something different because deep down within them, they knew that's not what they really were. And I said to the church, I'm walking out to walk on. Mm. And it meant, and we've lo- we haven't lost a lot of people. We've sown a number of, lots of people to different churches. You know, no issue with at all and friends with some of them. But in the end, walk out to walk on. Otherwise you are trapped in the institution. Yeah. I was, ta- I was talking to somebody this morning. I know, I know pastors who are older than I am and I'm, I'm, I'm not, do- I'm doing it because I'm loving it. I'm not, I wouldn't know what else to do, but. Some pastors have to hold the thing together and they're, you know, they are tired. They are really tired because mm-hmm. they're trying to hold it together rather than being authentic within themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Derek, thank you. I enjoyed the chance to chat with you. And again, I just want to thank you so much for who you've been in my life and the support and help and guidance that you've been to me has been tremendous. So thank you. Okay. All right. God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. God bless you. Everybody that's watching, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I'm sure it was rich and sure you enjoyed it. So uh, I'll try to get back uh, in the comments later on today. Have a blessed day. Thank you.